Empire. The wild west of name, image, and likeness, it's wide open. So how do you educate a student athlete to say, hey, this might look like a lot of money now, but once you pay state and federal tax, it's not that much money. Or take it a step further, safely secure on need-based financial aid from the school. That's Lyle Adams, founder of the new app Spry, which is here to help athletes and athletic departments navigate the opening of the NIL floodgates. This is the Futures Board Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Amateurism, it is barely hanging on by a thread. Liberation Day for college athletes who wish to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness began on July 1st. And in theory, the partnerships won't affect eligibility. But this is not a simple end an arcane restrictive rule thing. Lyle Adams played in college, and he's now trying to help present athletes understand the issues and responsibilities of being one's own brand. Our guest this week is the CEO of Spry, which is an innovative digital platform. It's designed to navigate the complexities of what's coming to the NCAA, name, image, and likeness. Hi, Lyle. How are you? Hi, Graham. I'm wonderful. I'm busy today, um, but overall, you know, very excited to be here. I think you're going to be very busy this fall um, as this topic is going to dominate, I think, the narrative of college sports from here moving forward. Can you just kind of broadly discuss why you got interested in trying to be involved in navigating what is a very complex issue? As, as a former student athlete, the topic is close to my heart. Um I played college sports before the advent of social media. But even being a collegiate athlete at the time, I would have had opportunities to make money from my name, image, and likeness when I was a student athlete. Um, so for me, thinking about that construct or you know understanding, I think this benefits every institution, every student athlete across the three NCAA divisions. Whether or not a student athlete chooses to participate in NIL is solely their decision. But everyone, regardless of your sport, gender, or team, will have the opportunity of making some income as a result of their collegiate um, athletic career. And for example, I believe there's what seven and a half million kids every year that play high school sports, yet only 120, 130,000 of them now go on to play in college, mm. right? And then, so there's 480,000 student athletes across the three divisions. And yes, you might not be at a large, you know, prominent institution. Right. Um, or you might play an Olympic sport, but you're still a hometown hero. You're still well recognized in where you grew up or where you're from. And there will be local opportunities for you to now take advantage of. So with that being said, if my entire soccer team, all 32 of us could have done private lessons, mm-hmm. the same would have been said for the female women's soccer team or the tennis team or the golf team. Right. So now you have a volume problem. How are these athletic departments going to stay on top of this to make sure that the kids now are safe and eligible at the end of the day? And that was kind of the construct and the reason we started SPY was to protect the student athletes eligibility and make sure compliance had the resources and tools to be successful. That's really interesting um, that you you continue to use the word 
compliance, because I think a lot of people see this and hear this and go, the door's wide open. It's the Wild West. There's not going to be a lot of oversight now. And, you know, maybe there shouldn't have been for a long time for a lot of the points that you made. Um, as you kind of take us through the early steps of all of this, what do you mean by you want to stay, well, one, safe, but definitively compliant? What do you mean by that? There are some state bills that have morality clauses composed in them right now, right? So, for example, the Alabama and Texas NIL bill says that you can't, you, you can't work with certain types of industries. Sports wagering, illegal substances come to mind right now. Um, adult entertainment businesses, perhaps, right? So those state bills have those. Institutions I've heard are putting morality clauses or clauses in their bills saying you can't now work with businesses that put the institution's brand or reputation at risk, mm. right? Similar things I would have to sign as a student athlete code of conduct or more broadly, a code of conduct as a student at said institution, right? So now if you have 400, 500 deals coming in, how are these compliance people or office or their athletic departments going to know that you're working with a brand that has now passed that check or quality of stuff, right? Like obviously there's certain things that you can't say the athlete will have their own opportunity to work for industries for, but if you're a private Catholic institution right now, do you really want some of your student athletes working with brands that go against the Catholicism per se, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because I've worked in media for a long time, I've had a lot of contracts with a lot of different media corporations. And, and what you're talking about is very broad, very encompassing, and does feel like maybe the reaction from the institutions as well will be to look at this like the media corporations look at it, which is you are still using our platform to grow your brand. Do you, do you kind of see where that is kind of all heading right now? It's, it's where it heads. I don't really know. It's, it's tricky right now. Cause unfortunately we didn't really receive much clarity from Monday's, you know, D one council meeting where they discussed NIL from the NCAA's board of governors. You know, they're scheduled to meet, I believe on, you know, the 30th as well to release some more FAQs. But if you're an institution now in a state that doesn't have, state legislation in effect come you know july 1st you're in a very tricky position from a legal standpoint ethical standpoint right and then the contractual standpoint because you now have um mixed media rights partners right how do you handle those situations at scale so for me it's time will tell to see where people ultimately shake out Bram. be very honest with you time will tell but for me it's like if i'm an institution there's just certain things I wouldn't feel comfortable with yeah. my students doing as an institution of higher learning. Like most schools have a code of conduct. If you get caught cheating, right, you're That's kicked right. out of school. Or if you get, if you get caught now with, you know, an illegal firearm on campus, you're no longer a student at said institution. That's right. The institution has made that policy in-house. Can they do that? Yes. Will that apply to NIL? I don't know at this time. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of people are looking for clarity and guidance in the space right now to say, hey, what is permissible? Some state bills say, hey, you can now use institutional marks. Other state bills have prevented student athletes from doing that. And others kind of left it up to a gray area now. So some schools are saying, wait a second, you can use institutional marks if you would like to. But we have to get approval. 
Whereas like a general counsel is now saying, ah, uh, I prefer having a policy in place that makes it uniform throughout. That's right. So it's, 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 it's a very, it's a very challenging topic. There's a lot of moving parts. Like, you know, kudos to those who are working on these policies right now. You know, I've had numerous phone calls of people saying, hey, what are your thoughts on this? I go, it's, I see both sides. I see why you would like to have that information. At the same time, is that information required per what the law is? And it makes it kind of difficult because at this time, they haven't really put forth any penalties or potential consequences of violations. Right, but there ultimately will be penalties and violations for NIL infractions. If you have a very large booster base and your boosters can pay athletes to do deals now, you have a really great competitive advantage over some of your competitors who don't really have that advantage. Yep. And if the whole mandate of collegiate sports is equal opportunity for everyone or competition, you've created a divide now that will further, like I said, the some institutions from other institutions, right? It's the whole cooperation competition paradox like some conferences need other conferences to survive right like you still need to play against you could be in the power five conference but you still have games in non against non-power five schools right so like how do you make sure the whole industry can survive so hence having some guardrails and checks are in place I mean, that's an interesting point, but I, I would say this, and I'm curious your opinion on that since you, you've discussed reliance on some of these others. With the NCAA losing essentially grip and power over a lot of these of topics and um, interests, um, it does feel as if that at least in the biggest moneymaker sport, football, that there is an opportunity for them to literally split off. And I think there's a lot of people seeing this as kind of the barrier to that ending. Um, do you get a sense in the future that the non-Power 5 conferences will be relevant um, in the context that you put it, moving forward, knowing what we know and what's coming in the NCAA? Absolutely. I still, I, I still think all conferences will be relevant. Um, Yes, football is a great example, right? Like, on, you know, like looking at, you know, the, the, the college football playoff historically, I don't think you've had that many non-Power 5 participants in the, in the history of the college football playoff right now. But without these other conferences and teams, you don't have a March Madness tournament on the women's and men's side. Because, yes, the Power 5 schools provide some teams, but you have now teams from other conferences and divisions. So like I said, it's the whole competition cooperation thing. Without them, you don't you can't field a sixty three game tournament. Right? No one wants to see the same teams playing over again. That's just the beauty of March Madness. So I think having some national guidelines and frameworks, you know, rises the whole industry. Like they say, like, you know, um rising tides lifts all ships. And I think if done properly and you know, uniform legislation, everyone now will benefit from NIL. And like, I can only speak to myself. I, I think many people are somewhat, you know, forgetting the college experience. Yeah. And for me, it's like, is $25 a month that much money today? No, it's not. But if I could have an extra 25, 30 bucks a week in my pocket in yeah. college, that's a big deal for me at that time of my life, right? And I think now, like, yes, like some 
prominent athletes in the big sports might have really big endorsement deals. But could I see a women's volleyball player uh, at a Big Ten school of volleyball is very popular, having a you know, very large endorsement deal? Absolutely. Could I see a swimmer now, you know, in like you know the SEC or the Pac-12, signing a deal with you know Speedo or another swimming company to endorse their products? Absolutely. So I see. It's just not those revenue-generating athletes that will benefit. That's right. All athletes, in my opinion. And if that's truly now the case, the sheer volume now of opportunities that need to be reviewed or understood can overwhelm an athletic department because, unfortunately, compliance is not equally staffed towards your student-athlete population. One more broad question, then I'll get into Spry directly with you. But the Supreme Court weighed in on one of these issues, and it was one with guardrails. It was a specific case about repayment of academic items. But I think we all recognize what giant loophole was opened the second that the Supreme Court sided with the athlete and not the member institution. And notably, Justice Brett Kavanaugh said out loud, essentially, don't come here with an amateurism case because you will lose. And he, in not so many words said that, which I think we all know what that means. This fight is essentially over. But you had referenced the NCAA. There wasn't a tremendous amount of obvious guidance from their last meeting. And they made a point of saying after the ruling in the Supreme Court case that they're only talking about this specific thing and not name image likeness. So... Where are we right now in terms of the NCAA being willing to be on board with a avalanche that is rolling downhill right now? Unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know where they are. Um, right. I said, hopefully some centralized legislation that all schools can adopt will somewhat give you some clarity and parity across board. Right. Cause that was, that was the, you know, if you ask any, many senior administrators, they would like to see some national or federal bill to make it equal. Like, let's look at this, the clauses now of the six state bills, or six states that will go live, I believe, or seven states that will go live on July 1st. Very different understanding. Two says, hey, you have to educate the student athlete five hours of financial literacy in their first and thir third years. The other six don't really cover that in their bill, right? Some say you can work with these co companies, some say you cannot. So how do you now, educate a student athlete at the end of the day, right? And I think that's what's challenging is you don't have one set of, if I'm a student athlete at a Florida institution and I want to do a deal in Texas, does that abide by the Florida rules now oh. or the Texas rules, right? Like, I don't know. They, they both were passed July 1st. Hmm. Is it now based on, because that stuff really wasn't clear. Like what, what governs the deals now of this information? Like, so for me, understanding those challenges was why, like, I would like to see some guardrail. I'm not saying they have to be over-restrictive, and that's what I think many are afraid of with kind of like, you know, the, the path we're taking right now is, oh, less is more. But once you, as you mentioned earlier, once you open Pandora's box, that's right. it's going to become very difficult to try to control what's going to happen at the end of the day, and I think that's more of a concern, in my opinion, than allowing the student athlete to monetize from their name, image, and likeness. All right, let's get into Spry. Um, what does Spry do? Spry was built for the you know, the athletic department, compliance department in mind. Uh, using our platform, 
um, compliance departments and athletic departments can not only distribute educational resources and information to their student-athletes, but student-athletes can now disclose their opportunities to their institution. All the state bills that are passed right now have a disclosure mechanism saying, hey, you have to share some stuff. And Spry makes it very easy for you to do so with a mobile app. But more importantly, we distribute meaningful educational content to student-athletes to digest. Unfortunately, the school can't say now, hey, Lyle, don't sign this deal, right? Because it's overstepping its institutional involvement. But how do you equip a student athlete with a, a playbook or a guide or information that says, hey, here's why you should avoid exclusive opportunities, right? right. Here's, you know, here's some tax information because unfortunately, no one's talking about that. These student athletes will be responsible for paying their taxes. And sadly, 18, 18 you allow them to save any money. My savings account was my mother saying, hey, mom, can you give me half my allowance on the first? And can I get the other half of my allowance on the 20th? Right. But now if you're getting paid tens of thousands of dollars, you're responsible for paying taxes the following April. So how do you educate a student athlete to say, hey, this might look like a lot of money now, but once you pay state and federal tax, it's not that much money. Or take it a step further. Say, for instance, you're on need-based financial aid from the school. A lot of student athletes are on Pell Grants that don't play, you know, headcount sports. So now if you take this $2,000, $3,000 NIL opportunity, could it now jeopardize your grant from the government? Uh. Those, are the, those are the questions I don't think many people are top of mind, but those are some of the pitfalls that we're trying to address with Stride, saying like, how do you just empower the athlete to be their best business owner? Because yes, some of the larger you know, well-resourced institutions will have resources, but the NCAA is comprised of over 1,100 schools across the three divisions. Not everyone has the big budget of, the, you know, the top 10 programs in terms of revenue. So how do you help their athletes who can also monetize through NIL? And that's where Spry comes into play. So are you looking at this more as a tech resource for students, athletic departments, the NCAA, whoever, or are you also envisioning this as uh, business management, potential marketing opportunity? How, how do you kind of view your place? Are you both of those things? Are you one of those things? I would say we're, we're, we're our platform is easily adapt, adaptable in that, like, if a school wants to leverage Scribe's educational content, they can. But if a school now wants to, like, use our platform to work with their on-campus resources to create educational resources for their athletes, they can't. I think that's one of the biggest values of each institution is what you have on campus. Like why I picked Wake Forest was the campus, the you know, the educational background, the experience. Like why not now package this information so your athletes can find and leverage it to be for, you know, to go forward. So your answer your answer in short is it's a combination of both. Like we can not only help you manage your NIL disclosures, you know, opportunities, visibility, but we can also provide educational content. But we're not a marketplace. I don't really want to help athletes now secure opportunities. So brands, so you're saying brands aren't coming to you and you're saying we work with this X number of athletes and we can connect you and, and do the deals. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not our space for focus. There's, there's some yeah. great companies out there that are focused on that. We're more focused on how do you make sure the school can reach their athletes and make sure the athlete is protected right? or has the information to make an informed decision. Um, all right. So you've kind of leaned into some of this, but I'm going to ask you one more time and see what comes to mind with you. Since you do have the background of being a former athlete, um, as you speak here to 
18 to 22 year olds who now have this opportunity to market themselves. Um, what is the advice you're giving them as they start to potentially navigate opportunity? I would say this is an exciting time into things. Don't sign something before you're ready. Understand truly what you're signing, right? Because like, as you know, as you get older, it can take 20 years to build a reputation in five minutes to ruin it. That's right. Right. So you can build this really good um, brand for yourself and sign a bad deal. That seems great at the time, but when you truly look at it, it's not that great for you at the end of the day. So I, I, I now would encourage student athletes to say, yes, July 1st is here and you have the opportunity now to earn compensation from your neighbors and likeness. But if someone truly wants to wait, work with you, they will work with you. Whether that's the first, second, third, 10th, 15th of the month, there's no need to really rush into things is, is my concern because like what happens on the first will be very different than the 15th as schools now roll out policies and stuff at the end of the day is my advice is to say, hey, take meetings, hear pitches, but there's no real rush to commit to anything unless you really feel comfortable with the terms of the agreement. But more importantly, make sure that it's been reviewed by someone you trust to make sure it's truly in your best interest at heart. That's my advice. It's like my horror story is an athlete signs a deal their freshman year and it takes 10% of their NFL earnings their, their first year of the draft. That's right. Right. That's my concern right now. And like, Speaking of myself, I didn't really do a good job of understanding legal ramifications when I was, you know, an undergraduate student. Right. I'm a lot better now, obviously, but that's my concern saying, hey, NIL is here. It doesn't mean that you have to now jump through a wall on July 1st to sign your first deal. That deal can wait a few days, right? If they truly want to work with you, if they truly value you as a student athlete and what your concerns are, the brands or those companies or those third parties will gladly work with you when you're ready. And lastly, from the other end of it, either member institutions or the NCAA who might feel like the walls are closing in on their grip of amateurism right now, what is the optimistic side they should be looking at as NIL is here and a reality in their world? I think this is a really interesting opportunity for a lot of you know institutions to empower their student athletes with the skills to be successful long term. Like the, 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 everyone knows the statistics, like less than 1% of student athletes become professional athletes. But now with NIL here, you can teach your student athletes to be entrepreneurs. You can teach them how to like, you know, marketing basics. You can teach them these real life skills that they can now leverage for post-graduate careers is, you know, why I'm excited about NIL right there. At the end of the day, at the same time though, I would stress, we'll get through this. Um, you know, I was talking to someone this morning, you know, an athletic director. He's like, wow, how are you feeling? Like, oh, I'm, I'm optimistic. Like, yes, it's, it's unprecedented times right now. And like, it's, it's a lot. But if you, if you date back 21 years ago, there was a lot of hesitation around Y2K. People <laughs> thought, you know, nothing would work. Yet, why, you know, January 1st, 2000 came around and computers still work. You could still turn on the power. So July 1st will be another day. Like, yes, there will be hiccups and bumps on the way, but I believe every, we'll get through this if we work together. But the key is here, we work together. 
Yep, the world will still spin. I'll still watch the NCAA tournament. The Clemson-Alabama game, I'm looking forward to it. We're, we're, we're all still good here. <laughs> Absolutely. So like, will some things fundamentally change 110%? Yeah. Once you fully wrap, I think you know, you should take a step back and say, hey, let me wrap my head around this problem. Right? And like, that's, what, that's what makes the problem so hard right now because there's no definite rules to wrap my head around the problem. Like, there's some there's unclarity around like what happens to international students because mm. by definition if you're an international student on your visa you can't work in the on your visa unless it's for your major so can they not not participate in nil mm. and it's a very interesting question right there's all those things now that i think a great plan and policy in place you'll come to a really good consensus that everyone is happy but just rushing out there to like do a deal now, I think, just worries me because no good comes from making irrational decisions, if that makes sense. Uh, Lyle Adams is the CEO of Spry. I would love to do this with you again next year to see where we are after one full cycle of all of this and get an update of where NIL is in 2022. Can we do that? I would love to. I mean, like, actually, I would love to actually do it April 15, 2022. And tax day when unfortunately <laughs> a lot of people have realized oh i have to pay taxes now because <laughs> those are going to be some really interesting conversations people are going to have to have with student athletes or parents or guardians at that point um, but thank you so much for having me today it's been an absolute pleasure i look forward to our next conversation on the next future sport podcast if you want to strike like the lightning have you need to prepare your hockey game in modern ways feedback that we are getting from the pros as well as you know junior players and youth players and, and coaches is that um, you know the quality the reality of the of the whole environment is absolutely amazing and i would call it you know 99.9 percent to what uh, you can experience on the ice that's bob tativa founder of sense arena where vr is strengthening the play of hockey players at all levels that will do it for this episode As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.